time for Michigan's newest sports talk show, Mitt Madness. And here he goes. Defense win championship. Michigan sports talk from here in Battle Creek. The latest stories, the biggest games, all across the Mitten State. That's not something to play with. Streaming live and on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app. Here are your hosts, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. Hello there, welcome in to Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK. Jacob Harrison, brand manager of BCK. That's Dejon Hughes, brand manager of the Block 1025 and 104.9 there in Battle Creek. A lot to get into, as you might have guessed, because it's 9 a.m. if uh, you're listening in the morning, and that means we have two hours here in the morning previewing and leading you into live coverage of the game, Michigan and Ohio State. We'll talk plenty about that game in the second hour because that portion of the show will not be available on the replay at 9, uh, excuse me, at 8 p.m. tonight. Uh, Also, just as a forewarning, we are recording the show on Tuesday because we both have lives and we both have to travel for Thanksgiving. I'm on the way up from Alabama, I think, at the point of this show being aired. If not, I'm making my way over to Ann Arbor to to do some some driving around over there. Uh, So I know DJ's got his plans as well, but we'll just keep that in perspective as we talk about things we can't do too much with the, the Lions, so we're not going to be able to talk a whole lot about the Lions. We'll talk plenty about the Lions next week because there's going to be a lot to cover at that point. In the meantime, we'll be able to cover a lot of things that maybe gets kind of pushed by the wayside, especially since we have more time. We'll also do more picks at the end of the show. Uh, so with all of that said, DJ, man, how's it going? Ahead of the holidays, how you think it's going to go after the holidays? <laughs> Dude, as people are hearing this, I am somewhere either playing video games or watching football, so I am <laughs> through the roof. I'm so excited for, for the holiday weekend, like I'll be in Chicago with family and, and enjoying that. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. So I was, was going to ask, Thanksgiving or Christmas? Yeah, no, I'm a big Thanksgiving guy. It's my favorite holiday. Hey, you I saw how much I had for lunch today? Yeah, I, say, I don't really <laughs> like Christmas. You can tell my favorite. I don't like Christmas because it overshadows Thanksgiving. <laughs> Everybody wants to jump right to Christmas after Halloween. But the worst part of everything that's going on is that my fantasy football trend continues. Every time the Green Bay Packers win an NFL football game, I lose a fantasy football game. Yeah, uh, uh, both of us had rough weekends in the football world, but mine actually got a little bit better today before we started recording. Matt Canada out as the Steelers offense coordinator, so it's it's all good. I mean, I was going to ask the, the ranking of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, for me, I love food so much, and Thanksgiving food is excellent. Christmas does get a little bit of a nudge just because I'm a father. Watching your kids open Christmas presents is, is an otherworldly feeling, but uh, yeah, Thanksgiving, big one. Also, by the way, football all day on Thanksgiving. Can't wait to watch uh, the Lions games. I'm sure the the Cowboys game will be fun uh, and what they've got there in the afternoon as well. Worth noting, if you enjoyed all of the the Thanksgiving games on BCK, awesome. Hope you did. Hope nothing went wrong with that, (laughs) to be honest. We will have more games as we get further into December. It's a selection of games, so you'll just have to keep an ear out uh, of when the games will be coming. I know we have the Army-Navy game is the one college football game that we have, uh, courtesy of Westwood 1, and we'll also have the entire NFL playoffs and any Lions 
Lions games in prime time. If they get flexed into a prime time slot, the Lions will be on WBCK. Uh, we will have other prime time games in the meantime as well. Let's get into the college football world to get things started. We will talk at length about Ohio State and Michigan and their place in this a little bit later, but I do want to touch on some of the chaotic things that can happen this weekend and next in the world of college football uh, because it's it's very detrimental to Michigan win or lose against the Buckeyes. A lot of crazy things are going on. Five undefeated teams heading into rivalry week. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Washington, Florida State ranked in that order on the AP Top 25. Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Louisville, the one-loss teams in the top 10. From Missouri down, none of those teams have a shot uh, of, of making any noise, but those nine teams really all with some semblance of a shot at the playoff. And for this to be the last year of the four-team playoff, it's kind of a bummer that we don't get the 12-team this year, but goodness, I mean, the fact that we've got such a buffet of really good football teams that can make the college football playoff and potentially win the whole thing is incredibly, incredibly exciting. It's a fun way for that four-game, or excuse me, that four-team playoff to go out. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for this four-team playoff. Like, with everything that shook down last week, it is going to be magic this week. I mean... (laughs) We got one of the toughest rivalries ever with Georgia, Georgia Tech. It seems like Tech just plays those guys good every year, even though people think they shouldn't. You have the game, which is named the game for a reason. I don't have to expound on that. The Iron Bowl, Oregon, Oregon State means something with Oregon being ranked. Both of those teams going to bowl games this year. Like, Don't sleep on the Apple Cup, Washington Wazoo. I, I say I almost thought about bringing that up, but that's going to be a huge game as well. If Washington State's able to you know, upset them, that's going to shake up the CFP hugely. Wazoo has upset Washington when they've had big seasons before. I was going to say, and it wouldn't be too far stretched. Like, that's one of those Auburn, Alabama, Iron Bowl, uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, where, like, the team is just shouldn't be anywhere near in contention, but because of what it means, they're going to be that close. And, I mean, it just sucks that, like, Bedlam isn't this weekend or, like, Texas, Oklahoma. Like, there's so many big rivalries that get played earlier in the year that, like, they just can't. Yeah, you know, like that feels the weird. Michigan Michigan State's a great rivalry too, but it'll never get rivalry week because of the game. Like rivalry, this is what college football is about—the last week of the regular season. I do want to talk about one thing, uh, and I think I think people are going to think I'm going to come from a biased situation when I ask about this. Yes, and I'm, you are. I'm really trying not to, of course. Uh, but when Ohio State and Michigan get done playing, a playoff spot will open up. There's the distinct possibility that the Big Ten champion, the uh, Pac-12 champion, the and the ACC champion are all undefeated, but there's also a chance that Texas and Alabama both win out. And in that scenario, who I, I would anticipate Florida would probably be number uh, Florida State in that scenario would probably be number four because of their quarterback situation. But between Texas and Alabama, who have played on a field and Texas won in week two, and Texas has looked worse than Alabama in those time periods, what how I, how weird would it feel for the final four team playoff to ha- to not have an SEC team in it if if the committee went with the head to head or or would you see it differently? Should they ignore the head-to-head and base it off of how these teams are performing most recently? I think a lot of people here in the Big Ten would be extremely upset, and a lot of other conferences too. At missing out on the SEC? On the SEC getting a team in. 
over Texas. Okay. If that's the case. That's because, the way I thought it would be. Because <laughs> then, because people are like, well, what does head-to-head mean? What does playing football mean if you guys are just going to hand the SEC spots anyway? Like, yeah, they've looked good. Is Texas, it handing it, though? Yes, they've looked good. Texas has looked bad. But when you look at the records, Texas beat Alabama. So if they both have one loss, Texas is better. Like, don't, yeah. th- this isn't a decision thing. The NFL doesn't make decisions. If you got a tiebreaker, whoever won the head-to-head wins. If that's they, the problem, though. There are they, no tiebreakers. Exactly. They need to just make tiebreakers. It's yeah. very simple. The first one should be head-to-head. Then the next one should be, like, interconference, you know, whatever. Like, there's a way to make head-to-heads, which then, I think, almost gets rid of the strength of schedule conversation because then people are just going to go schedule the best of the best to have the head-to-head overset. Like, yeah, I think... There are ways to make this work in the way that everybody wants it to. I just don't think the committee would like to give up their power. Yeah, well, I think there's... I, we'll see how things change when it's 12 teams in the future, but I think out-of-conference scheduling does take a hit if Alabama gets in over Texas in the scenario that I just drew up. Uh, and certainly, as an alum of the the Alabama, uh, the University of Alabama, I will not be upset if my team is in the college football playoff, but I certainly understand the gripe of anybody else that would see it that way. However, I would caution the outrage of that because in that scenario, Alabama did beat the number one team in the land right before the playoff. And okay. conference championships are de facto playoff games, especially in the SEC. So it's... But that's just bias. That's bias. That is a... I will agree. That's a bias statement. You gotta get you gotta get rid of bias. Like, if you want this to truly work, bias has to leave. It has to simply be football. Yeah. Who has the best record? Who beat who? No matter your conference. I will say, I think every team in the top nine has looked incredible at times and has looked like, what? <laughs> at times as well. And I think all nine teams have a very significant uh, grasp of things as far as a path to the playoff, but they all will also be kicking themselves if things don't go their way. Hey, look at number nine, Louisville. Florida State just lost their quarterback for the year. Now, Florida State's backup quarterback could be just as good as Jordan Travis. Not likely Jordan Travis was a Heisman candidate. Uh, or he could be just as good as, say, a Mac Jones at managing a team in college football. <laughs> All right, thank you for the distinction. <laughs> at managing a team and taking that team where it needs to go on the back of some excellent playmakers. Uh, but they lost a pit. And for Texas, it's the same thing. They've, they've got some big wins under their belt, but they've also got some clunkers where they really should have lost to Kansas State. Oregon, they may have a chance to rectify their loss to Washington. They could also just get bounced this weekend against Oregon State. I think it's just about as fun of an end of season as college football has had since going to the four-team playoff. It's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, and this is a great way to like start to look at what the 12 could look like because like right now with the 12 just taking out, you know, the Pac-12 because they won't be here next year. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, or Georgia, Michigan, Florida it's State. Probably get in. That's me being a homer and believing that Ohio, Michigan will beat Ohio State and go on to win the Big Ten Championship. I think you're looking at the top 11 in the AP. No. And Tulane. No. Would that not be it? Not your, necessarily. Your, your power conference winners won. Well, there's only four power conference winners now. Right. And then the, the one the non-conference one. or group of five and, and then, then the rest. Supposedly the next six. But that's why the committee is still around because the committee gets to decide who the best next six are. Well, how would they not choose in this scenario if Michigan were to win? Let's let's just presume it that way. Because they decide to How just, would it not be Ohio State, Oregon, the same way that, Texas, Louisville, Missouri, and Penn State? Because the same way that they're supposed to have been two Big Ten teams in the past and they decided to put in two SEC teams because the committee <laughs> wants to. The committee gets to decide what they want to do. I think sometimes you Big Ten fans uh, discredit how, how good the bottom of the SEC is, not counting Vanderbilt. I mean, we're not saying... <laughs> We're not saying 
the SEC isn't good, but that doesn't necessarily just automatically grant them to like true. A, a, a one loss Michigan team is better than, in my opinion, better than a two loss SEC. School. I think that's a fair assessment, but I think but they're going to a, a big you, argument in ask, SEC country is that a uh, a three and nine Arkansas team would go six and six easily in the Big Ten. No, yes, no. See, that's just ludicrous. I just wanted to say and that that's, on the radio, and that's what all of the that's what all of the the committee members and stuff think too. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We'll find out soon. I I think it just means more. We'll find out soon. Let's go to break. <laughs> we'll be come back. Plenty more to, to get into. Uh, Lions coming up. Michigan, Ohio State as well. We're also going to dive into some Michigan State stuff with their coaching search and uh, some I don't know some information in in that regard. Here next on Mitten Madness ninety five point three WBCK. WBCK. Want to uh, shift gears a little bit in the college world and uh, talk a little bit about Michigan State. The Spartans were able to uh, pick up a three-point win over Indiana, so they're uh, they're no doubt most likely going to uh, lose to Penn State later today. Uh, No harsh feelings. That's just probably the way that that one's going to go at Ford Field, 7.30 p.m., if you're interested in that sort of thing. Of course, as soon as that game is over, Michigan State season is over. There is no bowling for this team, obviously, with uh, with such a bad record. In that, with that being the case, Michigan State will need to find its next head coach. Obviously, with things happening with Mel Tucker and so on and so forth, they need to have things figured out. Was looking through ESPN, stumbled upon an article, the ranking the open college football jobs. Michigan State comes in at number two behind Texas A&M. Obviously, A&M has a little bit more recent success than Michigan State does. Nonetheless, the state job is open. Some candidates to maybe keep an ear out, according to uh, Adam Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, is Oregon State coach Jonathan Smith. Uh, you could also look toward Colorado analyst Pat Shermer, who is a Michigan State alum, former NFL coach. Uh, so those are probably the two to look at. My question is, do either of those move the needle for you, DJ? Do you have somebody else in mind, possibly? And uh, do you agree? This is a real loaded shotgun question, uh, but do you agree with it being the second best open job in all of college football is it really at with everything this school this university and this program has had to deal with over the past several years is it really that enticing for anybody and especially if we're not talking some of the biggest names in college football to come take this job you know you should ask me this kind of question i'm so biased like no <laughs> like what did you tell me last segment you got to put the bias away okay let me, let me throw it away let me throw it away um and all retrospect probably pat truly like he's got a good mind for football he knows what's going on out there and he cares about the university because he went there like he's the kind of guy that you want to bring back and reestablish, you know, like culture. He knows what old Michigan State culture was like, what it was like when the football team was good, what it was like when Tom Izzo had the basketball team at the top of the country. Like, you need a guy like that to come back in and be like, hey, look, we're not doing what's been happening the last eight years, nine years. We're going back to this. This is what our university is about when it comes to football, comes to discipline, comes to this, comes to that. And we're going to get back to that so that we can be the Michigan State Spartans. And so far, they haven't had anyone do that it's kind of just been hey we're gonna go out and try and put out a good product in the field but we just got to beat michigan and well we can't do that either so oh well like 
They need somebody to come in and be like, we are going to get back to the top because we're going to go back to doing things the Michigan State University way. I think Pat Shermer makes a lot of sense having that uh, connection with being an alum. But a guy that is already kind of in that position is interim head coach Harlan Barnett, uh, just 56 years old. So, you know, nothing to worry about in that regard. And he was quoted as saying, as far as the job itself and wanting the job, and I do want the job as the head coach, head football coach, there's nobody that can that they can go find that loves this place more than I do. And I don't think we'll do a better job because there is something to love loving a place and caring about a place as opposed to just going there for a job. And I think that is a, that's a profound statement. Now, look, that's the kind of thing you'd expect him to say is, you know, obviously he's an alum, he cares about the place, so on and so forth. They have won two conference games, which seemed impossible at points in this season. I haven't thought that they were going to win any game that they have went into uh, since they got out of conference play. Um, do you think that that would also be a solid direction as well? Or does Barnett just not carry the name weight required to be successful in the in the power five because remember michigan state's problems don't exist just on the football field or behind closed doors to be emphatic about it they don't recruit well and they have not recruited well in a long long time uh and if you don't carry name weight you're already handcuffed in the world of recruiting and i mean they're gonna to me they're gonna continue to stay that way what they need is a huge upset season they need an upset season like they gotta go out beat michigan or maybe go out and beat Washington, Oregon, uh, USC, Penn State, Ohio State. Like that is what always gets them back to that realm. Is they go out and they beat somebody they shouldn't beat. Isn't it harsh that they did that just two years ago? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they were almost there. They were starting <laughs> they had exactly the season you're talking about. They were starting to make a comeback. Yeah, and they were starting to get players. And then I think there were rumblings about what was happening there on campus. And then guys started to go to different places. Like, I think there were some guys who were looking at Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, and they chose one of the other three schools because they're hearing, you know, X, Y, and Z is going on. They just, like, to me, Michigan State needs a fresh start. And don't forget all the transfers that they lost as well. That that roster right. got gutted last year. And that's what I mean is, like, I think they just need a fresh start completely from the beginning. Like, hey, anybody who has been here while Tucker was here – or maybe even the coach right before Tucker, too, you got to go. Like, it's nothing against you. It's not that you aren't a good coach or anything like that, but you still have pieces of those teams, still have remnants of that culture, and it spreads. And that's the kind of culture we don't need. Maybe you're able to come back here and coach for us later in the future after we've reestablished a new culture that we can then pour into you and have you be a part of. But I think they have to get rid of the, that old culture that's there and start with something completely fresh. Shifting gears to the basketball program, which is a little bit more of a uh, bright spot, but it's been that bright spot's been a little dull to start the season. Uh, lost to James Madison, lost to a top 10 ranked Duke. Uh, since we've last talked, they've got a comfortable win over Butler. Really, I don't think you can shake an eye at. I mean, Butler is one, you know, a name recognized program and a emphatic win over Alcorn State. Since we've recorded, they have played Arizona on Thanksgiving. We don't know the outcome of that game. That is a very tough game. Obviously, the number three Wildcats. Michigan State's fallen all the way to twenty one after just five games. Uh, you know, talking around this program as the way that we can. I mean. You still have to lean on Tyson Walker. He's, he's your big-time player and everything, but, like, where does this team go, win or lose, after this Arizona game? Obviously, you know, neutral court and all that sort of stuff. 
not long after that, you're going to start conference play. What's what are the things that Michigan State needs to get right on the basketball court to correct ship? Because this is supposed to be the bread and butter of their athletic program. And so far, it's faltered. I think they just have to play basketball like this team is very, very talented. They have the pieces. They have a guard in A.J. Hogarth who knows what he's doing and how to control the game. They have big men down low that can get up high, get poster dunks, grab rebounds, handle the pace down low. They have wings that can shoot the ball. They just have to play like it. I think they're still adjusting into the season, into new teammates. It's not something we're used to seeing with the Michigan State Spartans basketball team, but I think this team will be just fine, and they'll find their way into the top half of the top 25 again, and they're going to be probably sitting around somewhere between a one and a four seed when the tournament comes around, giving them a very good shot at making a solid Elite Eight kind of run, if not farther, in the NCAA tournament. Heading back uh, to Michigan, The Wolverines, uh, you talked very highly about the Wolverines uh, basketball program, and they uh, I think they might have let you down a little bit there with a stunning loss to Long Beach State. Uh, Since we have talked a Memphis game or excuse me, since we've recorded a Memphis game, they've got a game against Oregon to look forward to at the start of December and then it's Big Ten play. For them, same question, except, you know, Michigan has looked a bit brighter, obviously. I think there's reason to have a little bit more uh, anticipation for good things to be surprising for them. But nonetheless, I mean, you can't go losing games to Long Beach State. Um, my thing with the Long Beach State loss is I agree. You can't necessarily lose those games, but it comes down to the fact that Michigan doesn't have a takeover guy right now. Right. There isn't a guy that's like, hey, I need to control this game right now, and this is how I'm going to do it. They had that with Hunter Dickinson, and now they have to find a new one. I think Doug McDaniel is starting to show those pieces where he's like, okay, we need a bucket. I'm going to go get it. Or, oh, this game's going too fast. Let me slow it down. Let's run our offense, and let's control the pace of the game. He's starting to show those things, but not enough to the point to where he can really control a game, slow it down, and decide if Michigan's going to win or lose like we saw with Trey Burke back in 2014. He ha- He's showing Trey Burke-like things, just not quite there yet. So I'm excited to see where he does go once he decides that he wants to fully take over. I think that is an, an interesting aspect of that is Doug McDaniel's numbers kind of stack up with Tyson Walker. Uh, just comparing them Walker 23 4 6 and 1 8 and with McDaniel's 21 6 2 and 1 2 they're really not that far off uh you know one fewer game Tyson Walker doesn't turn the ball over nearly as much uh but when you're you're looking at things like that and I've I've sung the praises because it's a name that I recognize and I know he did good things down in Tuscaloosa and Amari Burnett uh is a fantastic piece to pair along with a guy like Doug McDaniel that can get it done in that way uh I can't pronounce Olivier's last name but that's also a name that I recognize as a guy that can get things done as well uh so I think there's pieces here and I'll say this as well as as a budding college football guy to that starts to learn to pay attention over the past several years when you lose those kind of games, they can wake you up or they can be extremely detrimental to what you want to do. And I think with Michigan State, 
it was extremely detrimental to what they wanted to do. They didn't have enough time to get between a loss uh, to James Madison to playing a top 10 team in Duke to turn things around. With Michigan, they've got time before they even play uh, somebody thinking of being ranked in the top 25. So they've got time to shake out what went wrong against Long Beach State. I think the Iowa game might be the toughest thing they've got you know, before they get deep into conference play. You've got time. And I think that's the the best thing that Michigan could ask for. Yeah, it just gives them time to get into everything that they like to do and then really decide what they're going to be as a team. And I'm really excited just to see Doug McDaniel continue to show um, why he's such a great point guard and, and why he was kind of that hidden gem that Coach Howard was able to go grab. We're not far away from college basketball starting to get very intense and very interesting when college play, or excuse me, conference play gets started in early December. We'll talk Lions next on Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBC 28. Detroit sports fans, Wolverines and Spartans alike, this is your sports show, Mitten Madness, with Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes on 95.3 WBCK. Madness 95.3 WBCK, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. If you've uh, been wondering where Coach's Corner has been all morning, they're on break for the Thanksgiving holiday. Bill Broderick will be back at Lakeview Ford next week at 9 a.m. for another live edition of Coach's Corner to get us ready for the high school basketball season as it gets started there in December and then picks back up once class is back in session uh, in January. Let's talk some Lions. Not a lot that we can get into as we're preface at the start of the show we're recording on Tuesday so we just got done with the Bears game where the Lions didn't perform quite as well as we had expected and also your Packers won DJ so that kind of sets up a completely different game for us on Thursday with the Thanksgiving game uh, where the Lions are looking to have a winning record as early as as really they ever have Uh, they're eight and two for the first time in almost in over 60 years the other four times that they went eight and two they also went nine and two so they immediately won the next week but they've only surpassed they've only made headway in the postseason once and that was uh i believe in 56 when they won the nfl championship so as far as the ins and outs of games those are things that we can't really touch on but what we can do is look at the team as a whole and where we're seeing them go they did look kind of porous against the bears and i think that's worth taking note of but we saw maturation out of jameson williams i think we saw jimmy gibbs continue to be a dynamic piece and we saw david montgomery yet again really take control of a football game and you and I were both so low on Montgomery at the start of the season and to see how dominant he is sure he's got a great offensive line give him all the credit for that sure he's in an offense that wants to run the football the way that he needs it to be run but I think it's wildly impressive what what they're doing even when Jared Goff throws three interceptions they can just run the ball you know in the final minutes to to get down the field and and get get a score in to take the lead on the ground behind David Montgomery so I mean offensively there's a lot to be excited about defensively 
I'm just waiting for CJ Gardner Johnson to get back. Uh, but Aiden Hutchinson is still doing some fun stuff. Uh, just kind of overall outlook on the team with the second best record in all of the NFL after the loss for the Chiefs last weekend. Uh, the biggest thing is I think that the passing game has to continue to get moving for the Lions. As long as they're able to get Jamison Williams getting open in the end zone and Goff is able to find him, as long as Jameer Gibbs is able to rattle off 13, 15-yard receptions, as long as Amon Ross St. Brown continues to be in the perfect spot at the perfect time to pick up a third and 12 that he has no business picking up. If Sam Laporta continues to be that under route that Goff can safely go to every single play if no one else is open, this team will continue to get better. I only say that because let's look back a couple weeks ago when they ran into the Ravens and they were super run heavy at the time. That's fine. You can be a run heavy football team. It works. We've seen it work at all levels of football. But what happens when you run into another run heavy team in football? One that's been run heavy a lot longer than you've been run heavy. One who knows you win in the trenches, no matter how what kind of game you play. The Ravens simply just out-toughed them in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That is the reason why they lost that game so bad. They were literally just pushed over in the trenches. But allowing your offense to have a double-headed attack where you can run the ball with two very good running backs or you can decide to spread it out and throw the ball and still move the ball down the field forces the game to be a little more open, allows you to have some control. But if you're just going to be in the trenches and just run, do a run game where it's, hey, the team that gets 150 rush yards first is going to win the win the game, you better be ready for it. And that those lines got to get a little beefier if that's going to be the case because you're going to run into teams like the Ravens, the Eagles, who run the ball and they know they got to win in the trenches and you're not going to win that game. Right, that's where I wanted to kind of go next. I mean, when we're talking about the Lions, they have the second best record in football, but that also means they have the second best record in their own conference. They're going to win the division, right? I think both of us anticipate that they've won this Packers game and that they're nine and two at the moment that this show is airing. We're both anticipating that they sweep the Bears. We both anticipate that they should handle the Vikings, even with all the Josh Dobb magic that's going on over in Minnesota. But that means that when you make the playoffs, sure, you're going to have to deal with teams like whoever wins the, the chaotic nature of the NFC South or the Dallas Cowboys or maybe even the Seattle Seahawks again, who are one of the two losses you have. But what you're really hoping to do is to match up with either the Philadelphia Eagles or 49ers and potentially both in a playoff run. And both of those teams are built very similarly to what Baltimore does, which is that second loss. And I know you just hyped up the trenches for the offensive side. The defensive side is the side that worries me. And both of those teams, they're dominant on the trenches on both sides of the ball, like the Ravens are. And the Ravens are that way because of mentality. The Eagles and the 49ers are that way because of mentality and talent. Does that concern you at all when projecting? Because this is one of the most exciting seasons Detroit's ever had. But you're looking at two of the probably best teams in the NFL or in your conference and standing in the way of doing something extraordinarily special when it comes to a postseason run. No, I think you have to take this season for, for what it is, right? Don't take it for granted. Literally take it for what it is. I talked about this over on the block earlier this week in terms of celebrating. Mm. You cannot elevate until you celebrate. So therefore, enjoy this year. Celebrate this year. Celebrate every win. At the end of the season, go, 
We had a winning season. We made the playoffs. That's something we haven't done since XYZ. Celebrate this year. So next year, as soon as you get done celebrating, you automatically want to elevate. That's what it does. Like you like the feeling of celebrating and doing something good. So you want to do it again. The Lions just have to celebrate this year. So then they can wipe it. And then immediately after they celebrate, they're going to go, okay, what were our weak spots? Where can we get better? Mm. What do we need to do? Who do we need to go get? And then next year you are looking to actually make a run in the playoffs. And maybe you get to the NFC Championship game next year and you lose. That's fine. Celebrate you made to the NFC Championship game. Reevaluate and maybe you make it to the Super Bowl the next. Wherever they go. They celebrate this year for what it was, and then they look to elevate. I think they've done a good job of all of that. I, I will preface this by saying the Lions, they want to win a Super Bowl, right? They're, they're not into this whole, oh, we, we made it right now, right? I think once that, if that is what ends up happening, I think that's the way that they'll look at it. But I think the organization as a whole has done a good job of saying, hey, this is how we finished we can get better or, you know, Hey, we did this good thing. And I think when we get those peaks into the locker room, you know, Goff always says, that's how many wins we've got, you know, probably said after the bears game, that's eight, you know, they're very aware of what they're doing. You know, they're they're not they're not overlooking it. They're not putting it down. They're not overshadowing it. They're aware. They're the Detroit Lions and they're eight and two, and that is something to be acknowledged. But I think ultimately, I don't think it's in their best interest to eat to, to look ahead either. You know, it's our job to look ahead and look at the Eagles and the 49ers and, and be like, whoa, how do the Lions stack up and, and make radio content out of it? For the Lions, their priority as we're recording right now is to get ready for the Green Bay Packers and as this show is airing getting ready for the New Orleans Saints it's for them it's being in the moment and understanding what that moment is and I think they did a really good job again in that against the Chiefs I think the two times they didn't do a good job of that were the Seahawks where they were overtly hyped uh, for the moment with it being their first home game with all of the momentum that they had and obviously the Ravens game where all right, this is our first chance to play a really good team, and they got gobsmacked. So I think for them, it's being in the moment, handling the moment, understanding that they, they are worthy and they are talented enough to be where they're at and continue to build off of that rather than any sort of looking ahead or any overt, you know, oh, we've never been here kind of thing. You're good enough to be here. Just play like it, and I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all, honestly, for this Lions fan. I think it's the exact opposite. I think they almost feel too good about where they are you know like the players know they're that good the fans have been waiting for this everybody's super excited about it so I I I agree I think they do a very good job of living in the moment there's just some things they aren't quite ready for because of maybe coaching or just a team just flat out beat them and that happens you know like that's just part of football sometimes you just get beat and speaking of getting beat We'll be coming back after the break talking about the Pistons who haven't won in forever (laughs) and the Red Wings who listened to every word I said on the pod and have somehow figured out how to lose every game in overtime instead of winning them. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be back with more Mid Madness after the break on 95.3 WBCK. 95.3 WBCK.
Back on Mid Madness, 95.3 WBCK. If you're listening uh, in the morning, we got one more hour to go. If you're listening on the night replay, this is the final segment. Uh, you can head over to WBCKFM.com and check out the podcast center to catch the entire show. If you want to hear what we talked about with the Wolverines and Ohio State Buckeyes game, as well as our picks, uh, you can also download the 95.3 WBCK app to do just the same. You can catch the show every single week there as well and listen live to any of your uh, favorite WBCK programming uh, live or as well as uh, Community Matters and Coach's Corner replays at any given time. Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes, we're going to talk Pistons and Red Wings in this segment and uh, make sure we pay our dues to them a little bit. Similar with many others, uh, you know, games are going to be played in between our recording and the airing of the show, so there is only so much that we can do. Let's start with the Pistons. Uh, on Monday, Cade Cunningham candidly called his team uh, bad. He said, we're bad. At that point, they were in the midst of an 11-game losing streak. At the time of this recording, that is a 12-game game losing streak and quite honestly it could get much much worse uh reading an article saw where uh the pistons have lost 36 of their last 40 games as of tuesday dating back to february things i look they lost by four to denver without nikola Jokic, who was uh ejected from the game and uh reggie jackson ironically enough was the guy that kind of helped lead denver to the victory detroit on the scoreboard outside of the uh, Raptors lost uh, 142 to 113. That's ugly. Um, outside of that game has kept most of these relatively close, but nonetheless, that gap just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger between the win and the loss column. And at this point, Detroit's the youngest team in the league. They've got a new head coach. They're still gelling. There's plenty of promise. But at some point, Doc, you got to win. <laughs> you got to start stacking some dubs. You had some early. You're not winless. The, the, the two wins against the Hornets and the Bulls. Not two of the better teams. You've since lost to the Bulls. But goodness gracious, something's got to give. Uh, and I think Kate Cunningham's kind of doing all he can at this point. And there's some other pieces on the team, but more's got to happen. DJ, how do you see it for, for the Pistons at this juncture in the season? Mm, hear me out. Maybe Monty Williams is the problem. 15 games into his tenure? This team has so much potential. It does. There's, there's good pieces on this team from top to bottom. Not necessarily the last guy, but when you look at the guys who are getting play time, they can compete. Marcus Sasser, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jaden Dern, or Jalen Dern, um, Marvin Bagley, Bogdanovich, Asar Thompson. These guys are good enough to compete with the teams that they're losing to. Now, I'm not saying that this Pistons team should be going out beating the Bucks, beating the 76ers, beating the Celtics, beating the Suns. No, but you should be competitive or beating the Thunder, the Hornets, the Bulls. Uh, let me look at a few of these other NBA teams because uh, there's some that are slipping off the top of my head. Uh, the Trailblazers, the Kings. The, no, not the Rockets. The Rockets have low-key been balling recently. The Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Magic. The Magic crushed the, the, the Pistons and... It shouldn't have been that way. Like, these are teams that you have to be competing against because they're around your not only skill level, but age level as well, which means if you're not progressing faster than those teams are, you're not ever really going to make that leap. That is what this is about is maybe he doesn't, know how to put the right five on the floor not that he doesn't know how to coach or he doesn't know you know what he's doing but that's your main thing as an NBA coach you're not doing too much player development and things of that 
nature. You're more so managing the game and the referees and then putting the right five on the floor. And so far, it seems like Monty Williams hasn't been able to find those two to three five-player combinations that work. If you look at NBA teams and even college basketball teams, you see that coaches have found two, three, and sometimes four five-player matchups that work well for his team in different scenarios. And it seems like Monty Williams just hasn't done that yet. I mean, it's a long season, and you've got time to figure those kinds of things out. Uh the, the slate ahead, the one game that's between our recording and the airing of the show is, uh, as you're listening to this, last night's game at Indiana. Take on the Pacers. That's certainly a winnable game. Uh, Monday, Washington. The Wizards are one of the other worst teams in the NBA, so that's an obviously an opportunity to get back on the winning stretch. Uh, unfortunately, you follow that up on Wednesday with, with a visit from the Los Angeles Lakers. Good luck with that. I mean, any given day, right? The NBA is very similar to the NFL in that. I mean, you know, you can pull off what you can pull off. Uh, Knicks and Cleveland round out the end of the month and get us into the first weekend of December before a uh, long nine-day break for the Pistons. It's just, it's hard to garner momentum when you're not beating teams that you should beat and there's been plenty of teams on this schedule to this point that they they could have gotten some victories in uh certainly on the scoreboard it looks as though it was close enough but also in the talent department they're good enough to beat a lot of these teams head up and it doesn't just have to be teams that are so below 500 like they are like charlotte and chicago and washington it doesn't have to be that way uh but at the moment that that's kind of what it is but i agree with you i mean there's there's a ton of potential there's a ton of talent uh, I'm not so sure that I can... I understand the NBA operates completely different with its coaches. Uh, seems like dudes get fired no matter how good they are out there. Um, 15 games in, it's hard for me to immediately point at the coach and be like, yeah, he can't He can't do this out of an 82-game uh, season. Uh, but at some point, I do think there's a lot of credence in what you're saying. At some point, you've got to be able to put out matchups and, and put out lineups and things that, that work for this team. You've got super... You've got a superstar in Cade Cunningham. He's playing exactly how he needs to, uh, but you, you've got to put the help around him in a way that makes sense, and I think that is something that, you know, I think you've got a strong point in. If that's not the case, then somebody who can make those decisions properly is what needs to be had, but, uh, you know, something that Williams said in that piece the, uh, on ESPN, where Cade Cunningham so candidly said, no, we're bad, and we've got to address it. One of the things that Monty Williams said was uh, he thinks a few of the guys are dealing with how hard the league is and when you're dealing with it the one thing you can you can control it the one thing you can't control is your competition level and uh Cunningham kind of came back on that and said that should be the last thing that needs to be asked of us or talked about is how hard we're competing that should be a given they're the youngest team in the league they're they're scrapping scrapping and clawing for for everything do you think there's kind of a, a disconnect there in the optics of the team from the coach and from the superstar player is this just the the grumble of the the team being where it is and not necessarily where it thought it could be. I mean, the level of competition is what it is. You're the youngest team in the league. Who cares? You're all good enough to be in the NBA and you've all shown flashes of potential. Uh, Sure, when you have to play a Toronto or a Phoenix or a Golden State or a Los Angeles Lakers team, you're not going to be favored, but you can still go out there and fight. You can still go out there and put up, you know, points and numbers and 
give the fans of Detroit reason to believe in the potential that you have, or you can go out there and lay over. And I don't think they've laid over at all. So I don't think they're scared by the level of competition. They're just learning how to catch up to it. How do you see it? Uh, I Once again, that's why I said this may be a Monty Williams problem is they're young. You know your team is young. So find the best combinations to ease some of that catching up. Like you're throwing, like, like look at the roster, basically a rookie cut. Uh, Kate Cunningham because he's barely played his first two years. A rookie or Sarah Thompson. You you know, like there is no veterinarism on your starting lineup. You basically put five young guys out there and said, go ball. Like, of course they're struggling. You haven't set them up to succeed. I'm not saying Monty Williams is a bad coach or he can't do it. I'm just saying he isn't doing it. I think he's very capable of doing it because he just did it with the Suns. Granted, they had a different set of players, but it still takes time learning your players and then putting the five out that in the best scenario at every time. So he knows how to do it or he wouldn't be an NBA coach. He just doesn't know how to do it yet with this group. And I think that's the one thing that this group is missing. They have the, the effort. They have the energy. They have the skill and the IQ. They're adjusting to the game of the NBA and they need a coach that's going to put them in winning scenarios. Not saying that these two don't match. It just has to happen. Shifting over to the Red Wings. Um, I'm, I'm going to be very blunt here. The Red Wings, since we last talked, had a win over Columbus, a overtime loss to Ottawa, both of those games ending in a final score of 5-4, to four, and a loss to Toronto. Uh, or excuse me, actually, that's not since the last time we lost, but those are the last three games. Uh, the, since the last time DJ and I talked is just the Toronto game. Uh, between now and the airing of the show will be the New Jersey game, the Boston game and then they'll be setting up for Minnesota at home at the Little Caesars Arena. The loss to Toronto not in overtime, just a 3 to 2 loss. Detroit's still putting up points, uh but they are not it, it feels like they're kind of leveling out at this point. Is that kind of the concern here for you? I I'm just looking at how their record has has fallen from you know 5 and 1 on top of the world. Everybody is uh clamoring about this team. You've now got four overtime losses, which is fine, but you've got, uh, or excuse me, uh, three overtime losses, one overtime win, but, and that kind of helps with the fact that you're now basically below 500. Uh, but overall, I mean, the outlook of this, sure, they're scoring points, but you still got to win, and we're we're kind of nearing that halfway point. In a in a sense of the the first half of the season, I guess I should say, you've got a big game here against Boston. Overall, I mean, I think there's reason to be a little bit trepidatious that maybe the Red Wings just started hot and now teams are kind of aware of them. Do you get that feeling or am I way off base? (laughs) No, they're in a far better position than they were last year just off the simple fact that they're losing games in overtime. They're losing games by one goal. They're not losing games by three, four goals, five goals, not putting up goals. Like, I don't think they've been shut out yet this year. They've been shut out once, twice this year, twice. Including the preseason, they've been shut out twice. That is huge for this team, something they were not doing last year. Oftentimes, they were getting shut out last year. So I think that's the thing. And um, they're now progressing into a space where they're being competitive in every game and they're making a next step up. It sucks to not win some of these games, but it is not a end-all, be-all 
for them because they're trying to make it back to where they used to be, a team that made the playoffs every single year that had a 25-year playoff streak. It's going to take time to get back to that, but I think they're in a very good spot. We are not running out of time, but we got important news to get to. Uh Uh-oh. The game is right around the corner, and before we run out of time and it comes on here, we got to let you know what we're feeling, what we got to say, and who's going to win. So after a short break, we're talking the biggest thing. 95.3 WBCK, keeping you informed and entertained 24-7. WBCK Battle Creek, a town square media station. Still crossed. I'm Paul Stevens, Fox News. Skepticism rising on whether the Qatar brokered temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas will be fully honored. Seems at this point that the ceasefire is holding, but there are some new concerns of what's taking place on the northern front. We heard sirens this morning. So this is the northern part of Israel in the conflict with Hezbollah. And while that is a separate conflict, there are widespread concerns that could grow out into a much larger regional conflict. We did hear sirens today, which is an unfortunate change of events considering that yesterday we had not yesterday was relatively calm so we'll have to keep an eye on that but it appears as of right now the conflict in gaza the war there both sides appear to have been abiding by the ceasefire Fox's Alex Hogan in Jerusalem. This coming as the world waits on another possible hostage release. North Korea claiming its newly launched spy satellite is providing the country's leader with a lot to look at. Kim Jong-un at least twice this week visited the country's aerospace control center to view images from the country's first spy satellite launched last Tuesday. Images purportedly including the city of Seoul and military installations in South Korea, the aircraft carrier, the USS Carl Vinson, and images from Pearl Harbor and Hickam Air Force Base. The U.S., Japan, and South Korea have all condemned the satellite launch as destabilizing to the region, even as doubts linger about its true reconnaissance capabilities. Jack Callahan. Fox News. Derek Chauvin, the ex-police officer convicted of killing George Floyd, is seriously hurt after an inmate stabbed him in an Arizona prison yesterday, according to a report from the AP. Prison employees perform, quote, life-saving measures before taking Chauvin to a local hospital. He's currently serving a 21-year sentence and a 22-year sentence simultaneously in connection with the death of George Floyd. America's listening to Fox News. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. There is always someone doing something stupid somewhere. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Join me, Jason Chaffetz, every Wednesday as I shed light on the news and make some predictions along the way. You never know who will drop in. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Connect to Fox News Audio and the Fox News app. Listen to hear your favorite hosts like Brian Kilmeade, Jimmy Fallon, and Guy Benson standing up for what's right live and via podcast. Just click listen, then swipe right and hear the latest news updates on your time. And scroll down to hear the latest podcasts from Fox News. And it's even easier to listen in the car with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Get programming alerts and notifications. Fox News Audio is on the Fox News app. The Voices America Trusts. Downloaded. It's time for Michigan's newest sports talk show, Mitt Madness. And here he goes. He's been championship. 
Michigan sports talk from here in Battle Creek. The latest stories, the biggest games, all across the Mitten State. Streaming live and on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app. Here are your hosts, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. Hour two of Mitten Madness starts now. Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes here on 95.3 WBCK. We've got one hour to go until the kickoff of the game. Michigan, Ohio State, number three, number two in the big house. Michigan looking for their third straight victory over Ohio State. The Buckeyes obviously ranked a bit higher, looking to stave off Michigan. Michigan's got plenty of uh, off-the-field things that could be discussed, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, two of the best teams in the country are going to play a football game here in just a little bit, and it's going to be a ton of fun to watch it all unfold. Michigan is a three-point favorite at home. They have a 54% chance of winning on the uh, matchup predictor on ESPN, the over-under if you're interested in that. 46 and a half. Let's get into it. With the Michigan Wolverines, obviously they're led offensively by J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, and uh, Wilson at receiver, Roman Wilson, who was injured in the previous game against Maryland in the first quarter. Didn't return in that game. The anticipation is that he'll be back and be completely fine to uh, contribute here offensively for the Ohio State Buckeyes. It's Kyle McCord in his first go at it in this rivalry. Travion Henderson and of course Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside are some of the other big names to watch. You've watched those guys all year long. You know everything there is to know about them. Both these teams have been tested by the Big Ten. Both of them have handled uh, tough matchups with Penn State and other programs within the conference in roughly the same kind of way. Michigan, that big uh, third quarter team, don't allow much there except against Maryland. Ohio State did have an easier time last week with their win over Minnesota. Maryland a bit tougher of a matchup for Michigan, one of the closer games they've had all year. Back-to-back close games really and truly for the Wolverines. DJ, I open the floor up to you, man. I mean, just initial thoughts on the game and uh, how you anticipate things playing out throughout the uh, early portions of the game as well. Oh man, I am so excited for this game. Like it's going to come down to basically who wants it more and the beginning of the game is going to be a huge part of that. I'm going to look at it obviously through my maze and blue tinted glasses and I'm going to say that the biggest thing is Michigan has to come out and establish the line of scrimmage offensively. Come out and decide are you going to have a mixed play call or are you just going to be tough today and run the ball? But I think whether they have a mixed play call or not, it starts with running the ball. They have to run the ball well in the first quarter. Get Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards going. I also saw something on Twitter about rumblings of Khalil Mullings getting more play time, and I like that rumor as well. He's a tough downhill runner who's going to put his head down, put his shoulder pads down, and he's going to force you to tackle him. That's a great way to establish a line of scrimmage. Get those three guys going, but also call a fair amount of pass plays for J.J. McCarthy. Let that arm get going as well. Be balanced in your attack, and I like how things can look on the offensive end. On the defensive end, we all know. We all know. It's the passing attack. Travion Henderson is good, but if you can slow down Marvin Harrison, Cade Stover, and, and Emeka, uh, Emeka Obuka, you are far better. Your chances of winning the game go astronomically higher than they do than if you let those guys have a lot of fun. So I expect, and even though we talked about this a little bit earlier this week, I fully expect Michigan to go away from the, the letting you have the dink and dunk in this game and forcing the passing attack to actually make plays. 
both these teams like to run the ball a lot, and it's understandable given the quarterback situations uh, for both. And that's not to, to talk down about J.J. McCarthy, but young man does only have 18 touchdown passes, hasn't had to be the most dynamic quarterback out there. And it honestly probably buys Michigan another year of him under center, to be completely fair and honest. Um, but between the quarterbacks, we'll get to the running backs here in just a minute because Blake Corum is definitely uh, something to talk about when it comes to this game. Kyle McCord hasn't played in this game yet, and he's watched the past couple of seasons Ohio State. C.J. Stroud might be the best quarterback to come out of Ohio State in decades, and he couldn't beat Michigan. J.J. McCarthy has played in this game and been a winning quarterback in this game. When We anticipate this being a very close game, obviously the spread being just three and a half, or excuse me, just three points. Everybody's anticipating this being a very close game. Both teams are undefeated. Both teams are 11-0, and that's only happened a handful of times, and last year it happened, and Michigan was the victor. This time around, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these quarterbacks, especially if it is a close game. With Kyle McCord not having that kind of experience and not being necessarily the C.J. Stroud type, but still being a a talented quarterback in his own right and having the kind of weapons around him that that he does, I would think that affecting him as much as possible in your pass rush and, and in your disguising of your coverages, whether you're in zone or man or whatever it is that you try to do, I think if you press the issue, if you're the Wolverines against Kyle McCord, you can do some very, very dangerous things to influence the outcome of this game as Michigan believing to be the better team. What's your kind of standpoint with Kyle McCord and his first trek into this game as a starting quarterback? I haven't been too impressed with Kyle McCord and not just because I'm a Michigan fan, um, but I also think I've gotten used to very, very, very good quarterbacks at Ohio State. JT Barrett was very good. Dwayne Haskins was very good. Uh, CJ Stroud, very good. I'm trying to think. Justin Fields. Justin Fields, very good. Like their list of very, very good quarterbacks is long. And Kyle McCord hasn't quite been on their level yet. Not that he's not a good quarterback. He's actually done very well because once again, Ohio State is undefeated. No matter how you want to put it, the guy's playing well. But I think this is the first true test. Like even CJ Stroud, like his first year playing Michigan, it was like an eye opener. Like I, you get, you have an idea of how big the rivalry is, but like I can't even really tell you how big the Michigan Ohio State rivalry is unless you play in it. Unless you play a sport in the Michigan Ohio State rivalry, you don't actually know how big it is. And I think a lot of quarterbacks, what either side, because I think Cade and JJ went through some of that their first year playing Ohio State as well, where you just get shocked at how big of a game it really is and what really goes into the game. And it just, you're not ready for it because it is the biggest game in college football outside of the college football final. That's why it's called the game. It is that big, and and I'm interested to see if he's able to just grasp hold of the moment and push through it and play good football, or if it startles him like it's startled a lot of recent quarterbacks on both sides. Blake Corum uh, does not have the production that he had last year, averaging a full yard less, uh, not nearly as many yards, not nearly really as many carries, despite you know his season being cut short last year around this point. Still 888 yards, 5 yards carry, and 20 total touchdowns. He's been really the lifeblood of the team, and that really should come as no surprise. The split between him and Donovan Edwards has been a little bit, uh, not necessarily even, but Donovan Edwards has gotten his fair share as well, with 95 carries, 323 yards, and 3 touchdowns. 
touchdowns. He's not averaging nearly as well as he did last year as well. But still, the way Michigan has dominated in every game so far this season has been with the um, the running game being the main focus of things and Blake Corum being the lifeblood of, of this team. When it comes to Ohio State, you could go to rankings, you can do whatever you want. It's very difficult to get a full grasp of just how good a team is at one particular thing for a variety of reasons. But nonetheless, when it comes to uh, rushing defense, you you can't just look at the Buckeyes and be like, yeah, we're just going to do what we always do. We're going to run the ball like crazy and we're going to uh, you know, we're going to impose our will against the Buckeyes. Good luck with that. You should still anticipate that Blake Corum is going to be a massive, massive impact on this game. And I think controlling the football is going to be big because while Michigan's playmakers don't necessarily get the same name recognition, I think, as the Marvin Harrisons, as the Travion Hendersons. I mean, Blake Corum's a big name, don't get me wrong. Uh, Those guys are more explosive than they are just going to grind you out. Michigan is going to grind you out, play ball control, and and win the time of possession in the field position battle. Is that going to hold up? In this game, I assume Kyle McCord isn't affected by the things we just mentioned on defense. He isn't affected by the moment of the game. And he steps up and plays his best game, and he's able to get the ball out to all these uh, explosive weapons. Is the grind-out mentality going to be enough for Michigan when they haven't really asked J.J. McCarthy to do much, especially since his uh, three-interception game against Bowling Green? I mean, I wouldn't say they haven't asked him to do much. There's quite a few games out there where he's thrown for almost 200 yards and they're asking him. And and obviously you're not watching as much Michigan football as I am. So, like, yeah. I'm seeing a little more of the nuanced stuff. Like, he, they're also asking him, like, in those games where he's throwing for almost 200 yards, he's got three, four, five, third and 10, 12, 14 that he's converting in those games. So, like, when they do ask him to throw the ball, it's a tall task. And then he steps up and does it. Or they want him to come out after Blake Corum just had a tough third and two run. They want him to come out and bust him over top on first down. Like He's getting put in tough throwing positions because of the down and distance and you know what the defense is expecting or looking for. And he's still able to convert. So I'm not too concerned with the offense and, and what things will be like. The biggest thing is, can this defense continue to be the defense it's been? We saw last week, the first time they played an actual offense, things got tough for them, and they let up the most points they let up this year. Are they going to be able to contain the Ohio State offense, or are we going to run into a rubber match, and, and how tight is that going to be, and can Michigan win a third tight game in a row? I think it's it's worth mentioning that last week Maryland was the best offense that Michigan has faced. I think Michigan's schedule is much better than a lot of people want to give it credit for, and especially with all of the off-the-field stuff going on. We'll talk about Jim Harbaugh's a- absence from this game on the other side of the break, but when it comes to Maryland, Maryland's the best offense they've played. Maryland is also a very uh, mistake-prone team. They make a ton of mistakes. They turn the ball over when they shouldn't. That's why they can't succeed against the elite programs in the Big Ten. Ohio State doesn't make those kind of mistakes. 
Uh, Kyle McCord, just four interceptions on the season, not many turnovers outside of that, and their defense can create turnovers as well, just as they always have been able to. So that is an interesting part of the game to keep an eye on. We'll continue talking about the game as we get you prepared for the pregame show from Learfield here on WBCK in just a little bit. We'll take a break and come back with more on Michigan hosting Ohio State today here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Back here on WBCK, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. It is Mitten Madness. We're talking Ohio State at Michigan, the game, leading up to a pregame from Learfield IMG College. They're not called that anymore. It's just Learfield. Uh, And their presentation of the game here live on 95.3 WBCK. Getting you prepared for that, Ohio State and Michigan will be a part of our picks. We'll have our picks for two segments. We're going to pick even more games. Bigger show. Why not pick more games? We'll do that over the last two segments uh, and finish that up with Ohio Ohio State and Michigan as well. Don't want to bury the lead here, (laughs) but maybe we did. Jim Harbaugh is not going to be on the sideline. He's serving the third game of his three-game suspension handed down by the Big Ten. They did that so that the Big Ten would stop its uh, investigation, regardless of how you feel about the investigation or the the findings of it, whatever. Uh, Michigan's almost done with their investigation, but it is quite interesting that it was three games, and it just so happened to be the three games that would be the most difficult for uh, Michigan to win in this entire season with Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State to close things out. We The emotions of the Penn State game, I think, favored Michigan, right? Harbaugh finding out that he was suspended while they were on the plane and, and all of that, the Michigan versus the world. Maryland had the fact that it was the 1,000th win in program history. If they could pull it off, they did. Uh, you know, you, you, you have to do that on the road, but nonetheless, you're able to play with a lot of the emotions of of that sure you get Ohio State at home and you've got a two game winning streak on them over the past two seasons there are some things that line up your way but nonetheless uh Jim Harbaugh is not on the sideline and if this game does turn out to be close Ryan Day is is far and away the more experienced guy on the sidelines for this one um how as far as being a head coach in big time situations that's where he's been for the past seven or eight seasons so uh, you're giving me a look here because he's <laughs> He's just not. You're biased. I sure he's not done anything. Like, and and I don't think Jim Harbaugh not being on the sideline is as big of a deal as other people outside of the team think it is. This is the sixth game this year that he hasn't been on the sideline. Granted, only two of those have been against tough competition. It, you know, air quotes around that because if you ask me, Michigan's schedule isn't actually that bad because a lot of these teams have winning records and a lot of these teams are going bowling. But nonetheless, this team has played five games this year already without their head coach on the sideline. They're okay. They know what they're doing. And I don't think Sharon Moore is going to call this game like he called the last two. This game's different, and everyone in that program knows this game is different. I don't think it's as big as a deal. I just want to uh, combat the Ryan Day hasn't done anything comment with the fact that uh, Ryan Day has more playoff wins than Jim Harbaugh does. Uh, I didn't say Jim Harbaugh did anything. I'm just saying, you gave me that look and then you followed it up with he hasn't done anything. Uh, Postseason representation matters. Uh, I just want to point out. They've been successful in those. Everybody he's gotten beaten by, he's accused them of cheating. True. I'm not saying Ryan Day has a fantastic attitude. I'm not saying he's somebody to root for. I'm just 
just pointing out facts and numbers and those types of things. Ryan Day is one of the better coaches in all of college football. That doesn't mean that he's one of the greatest of all times, and it certainly should be taken with the understanding, obviously, that he is at one of the most elite football pro- I, I know today of all day is not the day to really die on this soapbox, but Ohio State's one of the best programs in, in all of college football, and that just so happens to be where he coaches. It's hard to not be successful there. Let's just let's just put it that way. Ryan Day has been moderately successful in his half-decade tenure there, though the past two years losing against Michigan certainly does him no favors. Overall, I, I definitely see your point, and I think you talked about it a lot last week where, uh, sure, the Jim Harbaugh thing, I think, does matter. It does from a schematic standpoint, from a game management standpoint, from all the little things that makes Jim Harbaugh a good uh, football coach. You know, half his job is getting these players here and bringing in solid talent, which obviously he has done a good job of. And the fact that, you know, sure, not the greatest competition, and I outlined the circumstances of the past two games, but this will be the, this will be, or this is uh, now six games where he hasn't been on the sideline. They're used to not playing with him at this point, which is kind of bizarre. And last week, uh, the, t- the, the point that I wanted to mention was you talking about how this team is kind of playing for themselves at this point, right? You, you've got guys like Blake Horham that came back, right? And didn't didn't necessarily have to. And you've got a team that understands it can, should, and has a very strong possibility of winning a national championship. And Ohio State stands in their way of that. That means execute. That means do what you can on the field. Sure, play calling may not always be the best. Uh, you know, it may not filter through the system the way that it normally would with Jim Harbaugh at the helm. But if you execute what is called, you're good enough. <laughs> you're, you're more than good enough to stand up to Ohio State on your own turf, take advantage of the emotions of the situation. Especially, I want to ask you this, how much does it play in that Ohio State has so much to do with the reason that Jim Harbaugh was suspended? The fact that the Buckeye, you mentioned Ryan Day has always been, you know, one to, to throw out accusations of cheating. I, it feeds into the rivalry, don't get me wrong. This is already an emotional game, but when we're talking about the fact that they're about to be on the field with a program that, you know, justifiably because of the rivalry hasn't had nice things to say about Michigan and this whole air quotes cheating scandal with the sign stealing nonsense. I mean, that that almost to me sounds like it favors Michigan a little bit, don't you? You might as well throw your hands up like you do wave because you just <laughs> threw me the best lob ever. Uh, of course that makes it so much better. This team wants to just, what they did to Penn State is really what this Michigan team wants to do to Ohio State, even though I know they won't. They want to come out and just run the ball 60 times right down their throat. <laughs> they a thousand percent want to and just prove that they're that much better, but I think it plays a huge factor into it. And I think they just want to go out there and say, sure, you did what you set out to do. Got our coach sitting at home, but you still got to come out here and play football. You can't protect them boys from us. <laughs> <laughs> them 18 to 26 year old men that are coming out to play on this gridiron got to come play these same 18 to 26 year old men. And guess who they're not going to be able to be saved from? Those men. They got to go out there and play football and put on the pads and hit each other. And that's what this Michigan football team is thinking about. And that's what they've been thinking about all year. They've just been serving this Michigan team motivation on a silver platter. Like, oh, we're just going to keep messing with you all year. Keep taking your coach away. Keep saying things 
things about this guy and that guy. And every time this team is just getting closer together mm-hmm. and they're they're literally fusing as one and they're basically just one man now. What comes out of JJ's mouth is the same thing that came out of Mikey Saverstill's mouth two days ago. Like they're all just the same person now and they're bonded over the fact that the country hates them. So how can you be the team that doesn't want to do anything other than play for the guy next to him because that's all they have? It's, it's like, remember the Titans. You can't beat a team that wants to play for the guy next to him because they don't have anyone else out there. Let's uh, shift gears to the national aspect of this before we uh, get to our picks for the last two segments. Michigan and Ohio State obviously are number two and number three, and the winner of this game is going to go on to play Iowa. And not this, you know, Iowa wasn't great last year, but that Iowa team was much better than this Iowa team. Um, Only because Cade McNamara got hurt. If Cade did not get totally hurt, understandable. this would be a totally different game. Very, very different. Iowa is number 20, and I don't want to to take too much away from them, but, I mean, they're a team that really celebrates the idea of punting, which I think is both very on brand and hilarious, uh, even before better you, because they're way black and gold. But before <laughs> you go on, did you see the punt that Michigan's kicker, uh, punter had last week? No. Couldn't have gotten a better punt. <laughs> Literally, he punted this ball. It hit the one-yard line, went up, and basically stopped on the one-yard line. Wow. Impressive. The best punt I've seen with my own two eyes. But you can now continue about Iowa. Nonetheless, I mean, Iowa, the anticipation is whoever wins between Ohio State and Michigan will go on to beat Iowa in the Big Ten Championship and punch their ticket to the college football playoff. So that leaves in the question that I that I did strategically leave out earlier in the show, DJ. The loser of this game. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to say it one way or the other, whether it's Michigan or Ohio, or, or Ohio State. How much of a chance do you give them at the right kind of chaos happening to where we have a similar situation we had last year where Ohio State still managed to get into the playoff despite losing this game. Can history repeat itself this way again or is there just too much in front of the loser of this game? I don't think it happens uh, and I think it's because you're going to have possibly if chaos starts to happen you're still going to have three one loss champions in front of this one loss no champion which is going to make it very hard for a one loss no champion to sneak in. Say Bama beats Georgia, they're a one-loss champion. Texas wins out in the Big 12, they're a one-loss champion. Cincinnati ends up, or Louisville ends up beating Florida State in the in the ACC championship, they're a one-loss champion. Maybe Oregon ends up bouncing Washington and beating them in the in the rematch. They're also a one-loss champion. Where is there room for a one-loss no champion? There isn't. You got to win this game. That's it. You have to win this game if you want to play in the college football playoff. Uh, This year, the loser of the game, as you mentioned, would have to worry about the Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC champions. Assuming that uh, Washington, Florida State, and Texas all win this week, as they really should, uh, assuming that happens, it only makes things more difficult. If any of those teams lose this week, that really does open the door more because then even if those teams win their conference, Michigan or Ohio State, the loser of this game, would have a better argument. They really need chaos to ensue between Washington, Florida, and Texas this week rather than next week because it does them no good if Louisville and Florida State both win out uh, or both win this week and then 
you know, even if Louisville beats Florida State in that scenario, it makes it more difficult for Michigan. If if Wazoo wins out, it makes it more difficult. If Oregon wins out, it makes it more difficult. Uh, and really, you don't want to play with a situation where Alabama loses this week and then beats Georgia. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of things that can go wrong when it comes to uh, rivalry week in college football. But hey, they worked in Ohio State's favor last year. Maybe that'll all happen again this year well we all remember uh 2007 right (laughs) when it comes to college football don't take anything for granted we'll come back and finish things out uh over the next two segments with our picks we've got more games this week and more sports to choose from uh on this special two-hour edition of mitten madness that is coming to a close pregame for michigan hosting ohio state for the game will start at 11 a.m You're listening to 95.3 WBCK. Detroit sports fans, Wolverines and Spartans alike. This is your sports show, Mitten Madness, with Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes on 95.3 WBCK. Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Jake Harrison and Dejon Hughes. More picks. More show. More picks. So let's uh, let's get into them here in just a little bit. First, uh, I think, I'm not sure if we expressly uh, announced this last week. We are going to play for uh, a lunch or dinner for the winner. Uh, we'll have their lunch or dinner paid for. We are settling on a restaurant over time. We're going to see if we can, uh, you know, work it into some sort of uh, sponsorship or some sort of extra, you know, ability where working on that behind the scenes but nonetheless that is what we are playing for and uh unfortunately it really looks like i'm going to be paying for dejan's dinner or lunch at the end of the season because uh things are not going my way yeah speaking of last week i came in at a rough four and two (laughs) don't put it that way and you were a little bit rougher than me at three and three so you are now on the year at 48 and 24 which is still phenomenal and i'm coming in at 52 and 20 so you're only four games back. You're not forever and a day away. This week could actually be very good to you. I wonder how different things would be if we did spread instead of just straight up. <laughs> I, I don't think our records would be quite as good, but I still think, uh, I, I think collectively. I think you would be doing a ton bit better than I would be. I think I'd be doing <laughs> significantly worse, to be honest. All right, we are going to pick a couple of games that are happening between recording and the airing of the show. So there will be some games including this first one that I have up that have already happened. So you can laugh at us for how wrong we are or be, uh, you know, have some admiration for how right we are in that event. I'm not so sure that that's the case. First game I have up is Michigan State taking on Arizona in basketball. That's a Thanksgiving game that uh, you can check out as soon as the uh, Lions and Packers wrap things up at Ford Field. This, uh, This is a big, big game for the Spartans. Another 
another uh, ranked matchup for them. They did not look great against Duke. They already are reeling still from the the first game loss to James Madison, and now they've got the number three team in the land in Arizona. DJ, who wins between the Spartans and the Wildcats? Ooh, starting with some basketball. You are so, so nice to me. Um, Let it go down. This is the first basketball game that we are picking on the show. It is. That that just means that there's more coming up in the future. I couldn't be happier. Um, The tough thing about this is I would love to see Michigan State do well. I actually really enjoy watching Michigan State basketball because it's something the school does right. Um, But so far this year, they've had it very tough. And it's not because they don't have the pieces like I talked about earlier in the show. If you're listening on the replay, you can go back uh, on the app and listen to the first half of the show and and hear the good things I had to say about Michigan State basketball. Um, But I I think this is going to be a little bit closer game than what people think. But Arizona still comes out on top. Yeah, I think it's uh, very alarming that Michigan State has has put all the pressure on themselves. I, I think, you know, Arizona hasn't had the most difficult schedule to get things started, but they did win their game against Duke. And Michigan State did not. And Michigan State has put so much pressure on themselves from the way that they have started this season. I think they're going to be pressing a little bit. And I think they've got to eat this, this loss and, uh, you know, take one more on the chin before they can turn things back back around i'm with you i'm gonna take the arizona wildcats gonna stay in the basket no actually i'm not gonna stay in the basketball world sorry i am going to stay in the football realm for my life in the college realm as well florida florida state Hmm. football going down swamp wars jordan travis no longer available as of right now for the seminoles and i don't think he's coming back anytime soon that did not look good florida Coming off a couple tough games, I don't think they've won their recent two. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, Florida's on a four-game losing streak. Okay, four-game losing streak. Do you think they have it in them to beat their wounded in-state rival, or is Florida State still that much better this year? Got to say, this game is in the swamp. Florida needs it to be bowl eligible. They're five and six at the moment. Uh, coming off that four-game losing streak. Let's just put it this way. Uh, Three of the four losses against some of the best teams in the SEC East, because Mizzou came out of nowhere. LSU uh, really, really pounded them, Uh, and Georgia. Now, overtime loss to Arkansas, two-point loss to Missouri, who is the number 10 team in the country. Florida's not bad. They're just quite clearly not the Florida that we were used to, you know, when, you know, it was... Tebow and his band of merry convicts. This is uh, still not going to be an easy game for Florida State and not just because, you know, they've got to work in a new quarterback here. Uh, Best of luck to them rolling out without Jordan Travis. Uh, That said, with with Tate Rodemaker, that was the first recruit under this regime at Florida State. So there's reason to believe he should be ready. Uh, Five touchdowns, zero picks. Obviously played well against North Alabama after the injury to Jordan and Travis. Now's the time to step up because Florida State season's not dead. So I am, uh, I, I realistically had not come to a decision yet. I think, God, do you go with the Cinderella story of the backup quarterback or do you go with Florida ruining everything? I'm going to go with Billy Napier and Florida. I think they're going to, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to end the Florida State season in heartbreak. Sorry. <laughs> that was such a roundabout way to say all of that. I'm going to keep it short and go with Florida State because I think they're still much better well around than Florida. And the quarterback position is a tough one to lose, but I think there's ways to supplement that, at least for a team 
uh, at Florida stature. And a tougher game, we we can have a different conversation. Yeah, sorry, I had to talk myself into that. One. I, I could tell. <laughs> uh, let's another game. Uh, sorry, I'm making a trend out of this. Another game that has already happened. This one happened on Friday. Uh, this one is Oregon hosting Oregon State. Uh, one of Bo Nix's last chances to prove that he could potentially win the Heisman Trophy. Oregon State versus the Ducks. Who do you got, DJ? I love Oregon State and everything they've done this year. I think that they look really well. DJ, I'm not going to try and say his last name. Uyongalale has looked very well as well for the Beavers team and taken them to a level that they hadn't been at recently. But I don't think they quite have enough to beat Oregon, although they are still going bowling. So I do hope they win their bowl game. I am uh, I'm going for broke. I'm going to go with the Beavers. Um, the, you know, I, I went with Utah way back when, just before Halloween, and it didn't pay off, but it was the kind of game that Oregon would lose. Utah just didn't have enough. They were too banged up. Oregon State is healthy. I liked what I saw with them against Washington. They felt like they could have won that game. This time on the road, I think they handle business in uh, a good old civil war there in Oregon. I'm going to do something we haven't done yet this year, and I'm going to take things over to the ice rink. Little Caesars Arena will be having ice down. The Bruins will be coming into town. Again, do you think the Red Wings have it in them? I may even be wrong. This game might be out at TD Garden. Either way, we're going to the ice. Red Wings, Bruins. Are they going to win or are they going to lose? Uh, this is the third time that the Red Wings and the Bruins are matching up. And I think that this is one of the more important ones. They have split the series so far. Uh, this game is out in Boston, by the way, DJ, uh, on Friday night. So it has already happened. <laughs> so we are. Oh, man. Another one I hadn't come to a complete conclusion on yet. I'm going to go with Boston in this one. I'm going to play it a little bit more safe. And I think uh, I think the Red Wings will get them on the last one. I think they're going to lose this one. I think Boston comes back. I like that as well. I'm also going to go with Boston. Um, but for, for different reasons, I think that Boston is just better this year. They've been, they were better last year. And this is one of those games that Boston knows they have to win because it's a divisional game. Those are important. And Boston has been winning a lot of those. That's the reason why they're at the top of the division. That's our first four games. We'll be back with six more after a break. But as y'all can tell, Jacob's already got two opposite games. (laughs) Trying to catch up with everything in him. So here what we got for the last six, which are absolute blockbusters after a short break here on 95.3. 95.3 WBCK.
Let's wrap up two hours of Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. We're just a short bit away from getting you out to the pregame show in Ann Arbor as Michigan prepares to host Ohio State, number two versus number three. So keep it locked in on WBCK after the show for that one. Big, big game and one that we will pick here shortly. First, we got to take things down south back home to the Iron Bowl. We're going to pick between Alabama and Auburn. I'm going to tell you right now, DJ, as purveyor of all things SEC and as an alum of the University of Alabama. Paul Feinbaum? Is that you? No, 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 no. Uh, What I will say is there's some voodoo out in them hills (laughs) down in Auburn. Don't think that just because Auburn lost big to New Mexico State last week at home that they aren't going to bring everything in the kitchen sink and more against Alabama. Do you look at that 14 and a half point spread for Alabama in favor? of the tide and laugh at it. This one's going to be a little bit closer, DJ. Who do you think's got it, though? Number eight, Alabama or six and five, Auburn? I mean, as much as I want Auburn to beat Alabama so they can't even sneak <laughs> into the college football playoff, I, they just lost to New Mexico State, dog. Oh. Like, you can't tell me that they're going to go out and beat Bama after that. Like, do I want to deep down in my humblest of hearts believe that? Yes, because that would be amazing for me as a Michigan fan, but I can't bet on that. I'm going with logistical things here in my head. And you know what the analytics say? Alabama beats Auburn most times than not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the other part was you could tell that I was trying to sell you on the idea of picking Auburn and that it would do you no good to pick Auburn because you knew I was going to pick the Tide. Roll Tide! Alabama's going to win and they're going to head into Atlanta with some momentum. Your Steelers are up on deck, sir. Why? They fired Matt Canada Yay. earlier <laughs> this week. Yay. <laughs> I can tell you're excited about that. But they're taking on divisional rival the Bengals, who have looked good and bad at times this year. Joe Burrow seems to be finding his stride of recent weeks. Joe Burrow's out for the season. But he did just get hurt. <laughs> Sorry, I, I stole your stunder Yeah, there a it's bit. okay. He yeah, did just get hurt. Bad. Do the Steelers going to be able to do it without their OC? Or are the Bengals going to be able to do it without their starting QB? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because you guys asked me in the hall, was it a Matt Canada problem or a Kenny Pickett problem? Well, we've gotten rid of half the problem. <laughs> I'm not so sure that Kenny Pickett isn't more of of the problem than we were uh, giving him credit for for much of the season. The Bengals still have a very good defense. It's it's very similar to the Browns game last week. The one difference is Matt Canada isn't there to put his grimy little hands into this offense. The Steelers finally have their Canadian independence. I am going to go with the Steelers because I don't have any reason to go with the Bengals. I'm too loyal for my own good even if it hurts me in these standings. Who's the Bengals backup quarterback? Jake Browning. And that's why I'm taking the Steelers because I don't Jake Browning literally took his first legitimate NFL snaps last week. My next game, Jaguars-Texans. The last time these two got together, the Texans put the bang thing on the Jacksonville Jaguars, but now the Jags are back in first in the AFC South. CJ Stroud just came off of a three-interception game in which they still won because they played Arizona. Arizona's not very good. Uh, Nonetheless, Houston has looked incredible all season given the, the circumstances of where their franchise is and has been. Trevor Lawrence played his best game last week as well in 
a big win over Tennessee. That coming off of one of his worst games ever against San Francisco. How do you see this one playing out? The Texans are on the road. What a lot of people don't know is C.J. Stroud is on my fantasy team. And C.J. Stroud has been a fantasy monster. And C.J. Stroud might be the best turnover machine I've seen. The guy is averaging like two and a half turnovers a game, and he's still winning them. He's still throwing for 300 yards and three TDs. Like, sure, you got two fumbles and a pick, but when you got 400 yards and four TDs, I don't care. (laughs) And you win the game, I don't care. This dude is turning the ball over at an unreal rate, yet still winning the game. You know who turns the ball over at an unreal rate and doesn't win those games when he does that? Ouch. Trevor Lawrence. Ouch. I didn't didn't deserve that, DJ. That was targeted. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to stick with CJ Stroud on this one. I like the Texans to win again, even though it's hard to beat a divisional rival twice in a year. I mean, I'm going to do the dumb thing here, DJ. You you know I am. And it only helps because you pick the Texans. I'm going to do the dumb thing here, and I'm going to back my guy, Trevor Lawrence, and, and hope that he is legitimately hitting his stride and that... They were just like my Steelers, one of those teams that got caught in the whirlwind that was the unexpected eruption of the Houston Texans. And I think the Jags can get them back on the road. I don't know why, but I'm going to trust Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, and the whole band of Mary Jaguars to help me catch up. Give me the Jags. I am going to keep it in the NFL. And I'm going to ask you about a team that played earlier this week against another really good team and won the Kelsey Bowl and the, the Swift Eagles. Bowl. <laughs> or the Swift Bowl, huh? <laughs> you want to put that. The Eagles, now reigning supreme to Taylor Swift and owning her rights as a fan, <laughs> will take on the Buffalo Bills this week, who have been struggling, but finding ways to win football games also. Stefan Diggs hasn't looked good, which has been the worst part of my fantasy team in the recent weeks. 77 catches, 895 yards, 7 touchdowns doesn't look good. I said in the recent weeks, my guy. <laughs> Do the Bills have enough to beat an Eagles team? I think, or are the Eagles just too good right now? I think the Bills actually are going to get a ton of momentum off that Jets win. I think, I, I wonder how much of a bugaboo it was to lose that first game to the Jets, even after Aaron Rodgers left the game, and how much that played into their psyche. Plus, once they fired uh, Ken Dorsey, the offense coordinator, that lights a fire under most teams. Um, and I, I think just the feeling of dominating another program feels good to the Bills. The Eagles are the worst 9-1 team I've, I think I've ever seen. The Eagles are very good. They're very talented. I was very impressed last night with their comeback victory over the Chiefs, but the Chiefs are also really bad, especially in the second half. And especially if they're forced to throw the ball to their receivers because they cannot catch your guy MVS, man. He really let him down again on Monday night. I'm going to trust the Bills. I think Josh Allen has figured a few things out. I think they're uh, learning to lean on their running game. I think Shakir is kind of stepping up in that place of consistency that Gabe Davis consistently leaves wide open. I'm going to take the Bills, and I think they're going to get to 7-5 and five and drop the Eagles down to 9-2. and two. Ooh, you are really playing it crazy this week <laughs> trying to catch up. I'm going with the Eagles. Like, I can't deny they're 9-1. and one. They're 9-1. and one. They don't lose. They've lost one time, and it was what a lot of people are saying is a fluke loss, because that was the same time that San Francisco had their fluke loss. There must have just been something in the NFL water or air or something at the time. Lost to the Jets, by the way. It, they lost to the Jets. You know who else lost to the Jets? This Bills team. Not most recently. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they just beat the Jets. 32-6 right. to six and got them to finally bench Zach Wilson. <laughs> I need them to actually beat the Eagles, and I don't think that happens. So you're, you're going with the Eagles? Oh, yeah. Okay. 1,000%. Okay. Wouldn't even think twice. Last one I've got is uh, you you, kind of threw up the challenge flag a little bit at me when I told you that I was going to bring this game to the table. This is going to close out the insane Thursday lineup that Detroit sports has. I I mentioned it before. Article on BCK kind of spills it all out is that the Detroit area sports scene is insane from Wednesday all the way through 
to this game on Monday at Little Caesars Arena, the Washington Wizards come to town to play the Detroit Pistons. Usually we pick games between really good teams. That is usually kind of the moniker that's what we're supposed to do. At the time of recording, the Wizards are 2-11 and and 1-6 and on the road. <laughs> at the time of recording, the Detroit Pistons are 2-13 and and 1-6 and at home. Something has to give. The Pistons have a 56.2% chance to win, according to the ESPN matchup predictor. DJ, who gets presumably <laughs> win number three. I gotta be a homer here and just trust the Pistons to get back on track against a team that is also struggling. I also just not a huge fan of who the Wizards have on their team. They haven't really been exciting to me in the last couple years, so I I gotta rock with my Pistons on this one. Looking at uh, trends, the Wizards are getting absolutely crushed on a regular basis. The Pistons are just not finishing. I think this gives the Pistons an opportunity to learn how to finish, so I am going to pick the Detroit Pistons and not necessarily for Homer reasons. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just think uh, this is the kind of game that that Detroit should, could, and can, and will win. All right. The honors go to none other than me because they should as a Homer. (laughs) The game down I-94 in the big house in Michigan Stadium. Definitely over 110,000 people will be in the seats. It's literally coming on this station in a few moments. The Trash State Buckeyes. are making their way up north to take on the world-class University of Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> Who's taking home the W, Jacob? Well done on the intro. Michigan, three-point favorites, 54.8% chance to win on the matchup. Predictor, 46.5 points on the over-under. Place your bets now because time is running out. J.J. McCarthy is incredible. Blake Corum is incredible. Roman Wilson is incredible. The Michigan Wolverines defense is incredible, and they've played incredible without Jim Harbaugh. That said, Ohio State, they've got their head coach. They've got Kyle McCarthy. Court. They've got Travion Henderson. They've got uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. They've got Cade Stover. They've got weapons, man. They're dangerous and they've looked better against equal opposition. And they're playing in Ann Arbor. They're playing in the big house. They're playing against a team that has so much emotion wrapped up in it. And here's the funny thing about rivalries is somehow the emotion of a rivalry game plays into your favor. All it takes is Michigan doing something scary early in this game and proving that they don't need the signs, dog. They've got the talent. They don't need all of this nonsense that Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten came after them for because they were scared Michigan had finally gotten over the hump in some ways. Michigan, on the back of Blake Corum, is going to dominate this game. And I don't mean on the scoreboard. I mean the way they dominated Penn State. And I don't mean they're going to not throw the ball in the second half. I just mean that physicality of Michigan is going to outwork Ohio State. I asked the question earlier, could Michigan play the traditional game, win the field position battle, win the time of possession battle, run the rock. Could they do those type of things? I asked you, but in my head, I had already answered the question. Yes, Michigan can do all of those things. And when you do all of those things, win the turnover differential as well as a boot, hey, you're going to win the football game nine times out of ten. Michigan, I think they're going to win this football game. Well, there you have it. We're both in an interesting week of picks. Going to be in for it. I'm taking Oregon. You're taking Oregon State. (laughs) We're both taking the Bruins. We're both taking the Pistons. Both taking the Wolverines. Both taking the Tide. I'm taking the Seminoles. You're taking the Gators. I've got the Texans. You've got the Jaguars. I've got the Eagles. You've got the Bills. We both got the Steelers. 
and both have Arizona. This is a good chance for you to hop back in, man. <laughs> or a good chance or, to just completely fall out of it. <laughs> like, you, hey, you lose some of these games, man, you, you might as well just start thinking about where you're going to be paying for it. Hey, it's going to be If I lose some of the ones that, that you lost, then it doesn't matter. That's true. That's true. That's fair. But I don't know about that, man. We, we're going to have to make reservations soon, though. <laughs> Facts. Yeah, we are. Get us on out of here, bro. All right, that'll do it. Two hours of Mitten Madness next week. Coach's Corner, Bill Broderick, will be back in their regular time slot of 9 a.m. And this show will be back in its regular time slot of, uh, excuse me, of 10 a.m. If you missed any of the second hour, you can catch it only on the app. If you missed just the first hour, then you can check that all out in the replay at 8 p.m. or as well in the app where the entire show will be podcasted. That's going to do it for us. Stay tuned because Michigan football, as the Wolverines host the Ohio State Buckeyes, will be here live on WBCK immediately following the show. Stick around for more great sports talk here on Mitten Madness each and every week at 10 a.m. on Saturdays here on 95.3 WBCK. Join Jacob Harrison and Dejan Hughes every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. Miss the show or want to play it back? Stream Mitten Madness live or on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app.